Before the Israelites left Babylon, the king of Persia, who had overthrown Babylon, decided to help them rebuild the temple back in Jerusalem. He organized people from all over the land to give livestock and supplies to the Israelites. He even returned all of the gold and silver that the Babylonians had stolen from the temple. 50,000 Israelites returned to Jerusalem and rebuilt the altar of the temple, then laid the foundation for the building itself. Before the temple was even finished, the Israelites began to offer sacrifices and worship God in it once again. But other countries surrounding Jerusalem began to worry about the Israelites regaining power. So they sabotaged the rebuilding project, and it came to a standstill for 16 years. But God used two men, Haggai and Zechariah, to encourage the Israelites to resume building the temple and not to be afraid of their enemies. So they continued building, strengthened by the prophet's words. The opposition continued, this time from a man named Tatanai, the governor of a nearby region. He wanted to stop the Israelites from building and worked to convince the Persian king, Darius, to stop the Israelites. Not only did King Darius not stop the rebuilding project, he threatened Tatanai and anyone else who would try to stop the temple from being rebuilt, that he would kill them. Then he made Tatanai give funding, animals, and supplies to the Israelites. So the work continued, and almost 70 years after it had been destroyed, the Israelites finished rebuilding the temple. They dedicated it by sacrificing hundreds of animals to God and returning the priests back to their positions of leadership in the temple. God was once again worshipped in Jerusalem. Some of you will recognize the name Jim Caviezel. Jim Caviezel played the part of Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, that amazing movie that looked at the last hours of Jesus. Now, he was warned when he interviewed for the position, for that part, he was warned by Mel Gibson, who was the producer of the movie, that this could negatively impact Caviezel's career. That by taking this part, Hollywood would turn their backs on him. But he, as a believer in Jesus, saw this as an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with the world in a very unique way. And so, knowing the price that he would pay, and indeed he paid a great price in his career, knowing the price that he would pay, Jim Caviezel said yes to that part. Later he was interviewed. I want you to hear what he said. He said the awards... The hall of fame that actors get into here on earth don't matter to me. So all those awards, the Academy Awards, all the different awards that are given for the actors and movies that, um, that they're in, he said, that doesn't matter to me. He said, my reward will come in heaven. Jesus is as controversial now as he has ever been. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. We have to be willing to give up our names, our reputations, and our very lives to speak the truth. What I love about Jim Caviezel is that he not only said it, but he lived it. How often do we claim to believe something, but anybody outside of our lives would look at our lives, and they wouldn't know that we 
actually believe that. What Jim Caviezel understands is this. Jesus is coming back. And that his life in this earth is very short compared to eternity. And so what matters is not building a kingdom for himself in this world. What matters is building a kingdom of God forever. And he invested in that kingdom of God. Willing to sacrifice his reputation. Willing to sacrifice his future in Hollywood. Willing to sacrifice notoriety that would come with that. You see, what Jim Caviezel understands is this. Jesus doesn't just want us one hour a week. He doesn't just want us four or five minutes a day when we read a scripture or pray. He wants us 24-7. He wants our lives, our obedience, our passion, every moment of every day for the rest of our lives and for an eternity. Friends, the question that we have to answer is this. Do I belong to myself? Do I belong to the world? Or do I belong to my Savior, Jesus Christ? That's a question each of us is confronted by this morning. And I want you to um, just think about this. We're doing our series called The Story. If you're visiting with us this morning, this is a 31-week look at 70% of the Bible. You're going to see the entire Bible story as we journey through this in 31 weeks. Can you believe we're already in week 19? And we're looking this morning at the return of God's people from Babylon and the, all the areas they were dispersed back to the Holy Land that had been completely destroyed. The land of Judea that had been completely destroyed by the Babylonians. The temple, the great temple that Solomon had built, now lay in ruins. There's where we pick up the story this morning. There are four challenges I want to bring to you today. Four challenges of many that I could bring to you. The struggle I have every Sunday is trying to limit what I'm going to bring to you because there's so much to say. And you will see things that I will never mention. As you read the scriptures in preparation for Sunday's sermon each week, you will see things. God will speak to you. God will reveal things to you that I don't see. And so I encourage you to continue every week to read in preparation for what God will share with you on Sunday. So four challenges that I want to bring to you this morning. Here's the first one. Right here. Here's the first one. Make decisions today based on the future promises of God. Make decisions today, this day, this Sunday, in light of the future promises that God has made to you and that God has made to me. Now, here's what was happening. For 70 years, the nation had lived in exile. When Babylon fell, or I'm sorry, when Jerusalem fell in 586 B.C., it, it fell in waves. It, it fell in sections. It began in 597. It ended in, in 586. And as it fell, as the nation fell slowly, the villages were destroyed. 
until eventually Jerusalem itself fell. Almost everyone was taken away. The best and the brightest were taken to Babylon. Now this was a normal procedure when a nation was conquered in that day. If we take you out of your culture, we plant you in another culture where you don't know anybody, you don't know the language, you don't know the customs, it's very difficult to rise up against the one who conquered you. So this was a very normal process. During the course of the fall of Judah, most of, uh, many of the people had flown south to Egypt. So what was left was just a small number of people. And others moved into the land during the 70 years that the nation would be, would be out and in foreign lands. Now, these people who were taken away or had left to Egypt had no idea how long that they would be living in another land. They didn't know how long it would really be until they came home again. It would be, they knew a generation, but they didn't know how long. Now, the prophets of God were speaking to them during this time. And there's something profound about this. God knew what the people were going through. He knew the struggles that they were living in. He knew the hopelessness that they felt. We're never going to get to go home again. How could we ever leave Babylon? They're powerful. We could never, we could never get away from them. But God had made a promise, and we saw that through Ezekiel. And, and we will see it in just a moment through Jer, uh, Jeremiah. But God had made a promise to the people. What was that promise? That promise was that they had a hope for their future. That promise was that God was going to raise them up, and he was going to bring them home again. Now, there were two kinds of people, who two kinds of Jews who lived in exile. There was one group who said, we believe the word of God. We're going home again. And so that time of exile, they didn't feel the hopelessness because they believed the word of God. You're going home again. That's all you need to know. You're going home again. You don't know the day. You don't know the time. But God said, you will go home again. Then there was a second group of people. And they didn't believe the promise that God had made through Ezekiel and Jeremiah and other prophets. They didn't trust the word of God. Their experience in the exile was much different. They felt hopeless. They felt like they didn't have a future. They felt like God had abandoned them. They felt like we're never going home again. Now, I want to ask you this question. Which of those camps do you think you would have lived in? Same circumstances, but a very different response. And the only difference in the response was their faith in the promise that God had made to them. Do you see that? Those who believed the promise of God lived with a sense of purpose in the land and also knew that God would fulfill the promise so they had hope. Those who didn't trust the word of God, didn't believe that God would fulfill his promise, they lived with a sense of hopelessness. Now there are some of you here this morning that because of the circumstances of your life, 
you are living with hopelessness. You are living with a sense of dread and anxiousness and worry that has overcome you. I want to suggest to you that God has made incredible promises about your future. And he wants you to make decisions today based on the promises that he has made for tomorrow. We come to the book of Ezra. And Ezra was a prophet of the Lord in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, what has happened in those 70 years, which is a long time, isn't it? 70 years is a long time. Let me just give you a picture. I thought about this. What was happening 70 years ago? I wasn't even born yet. I know some of you doubt it, but I wasn't. 70 years ago, this was the circumstances of people who lived in America. The average cost of a home was $9,050. The av average annual uh, salary, $3,400. A hamburger cost 53 cents. The average rent was $80 a month. The average car cost $2,210. I love this one. Three, only three out of every five families actually owned a car. And most people only had one. Most families only had one. Okay, the average price of gas. Some of you want to get into a time machine, don't you? 20 cents a gallon. 70 years ago, Jonas Salk developed the vaccination for polio. Microwave ovens were, dis were invented in 1952. They were the size of refrigerators and they sold for $1,200 a piece, a third of the average income of a person. Friends, 70 years is a long time. Lots of life happens in 70 years. You can see why people grew discouraged. Would God fulfill his promise? You see, the, the people were powerless in their own strength to change their circumstances. They couldn't change their circumstances. Only God could change their circumstances. And then we read this great passage. In the, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, the Persians had conquered the Babylonians in this 70-year time frame. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. If you have your own Bible, if you have your Bible with you and it's open, underline that, that verse. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. What does that tell you about God? He's faithful. What does it tell you about God? That he cares for his people. He cares for you. What does it tell you about God? That he knows your circumstances and he has not forgotten you. I don't know what your circumstances are today. I don't know what the source of hopelessness is in your life today. But this I know. God knows. And he has not left you. We can't judge God by our circumstances. We can only judge our circumstances by what we know is true about God. And we read this. The Lord moved in the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. 
So here's this guy who doesn't believe in God. And God, in order to fulfill his word, what does he do? He stirs the heart of the king of Persia. For what purpose? To send, allow the people to go back and to rebuild the nation. Now, this is startling. This doesn't make sense from a military perspective. We've got them dispersed. They're in exile. They can't rise up. Why would we let them go? And not only does he let them go, what does he give them? Gold and silver and all that have been taken by the Babylonians. This makes no sense from a military and national perspective. God moves in the heart of King Cyrus and he does the impossible. Why? Because he always fulfills his word. He always fulfills his promises. And we need to live each day in light of the promises that God has made. Now, I was looking at my life and I was looking at how, what do I really believe? I have certain things that I put in this little box that I call, I know this is going to happen tomorrow. Sun's going to come up. My wife's still going to love me. There are things I know I'm certain of about tomorrow, but there are things I'm not certain about. I don't know if there's going to be a big parade in L.A. or in Cincinnati. I don't know it, what the weather's going to be tomorrow. I mean, people, weathermen tell me, but I don't know because sometimes they're wrong. I don't know. There's uncertainty. I want to ask you, when it comes to the promises of God, which box do you put them in? I make decisions about tomorrow based, I, I make decisions today based on what I know about tomorrow. What I know is that God will still love me. What I know, he will never give up on me, as goofy as I am. What I know is that he will be my shepherd. What I know is that I will never be alone. What I know is that his love is there for me every moment of every day. I know that to be true. It's not just true today. It'll be true tomorrow. It'll be true for an eternity. We go to the next verse, and I want you to see this. I might be frozen. Oh, and I, you know what I did today? Can you, is it not working? Froze? Thank you. Oh, okay. I think that's it. Back one, thank you. So, no, here we go. So, Zechariah 12, 10. Zechariah was a prophet of the day. Here's a prophecy. Now, that's it. back in that day, that very time that we're looking at. Because we're looking at chronological biblical history. The Bible isn't in chronology. It's not ordered in chronologically. It's ordered by style of writing. The poetry, the prophets, the law. It's not by time frame. Our journey is through time frame. So Zechariah was one of the, he was one of the prophets of the day. Listen to what he says. This is, this is what, 700 years before Jesus 
I mean, uh, 500 years before Jesus would be born. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. What is he saying? 500 years before the birth of Jesus, he's saying, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. Now, why would God do that? Because he wants them to live each day in light of the future coming of the Messiah. He wants them to live each day in light of the fact that the Messiah, Jesus, is coming. Back, is coming. He's coming. That day is coming, so live today in light of that reality. Here's what I want you to see. The Bible says that Jesus is coming back. We don't exactly know when, but he's coming back. And when he does, all that we know and all of life as we know it will change. Here's the question. Are you living today in light of that reality? Are you living today in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back again? Or are you so busy building your kingdom here on earth that you're not thinking about the future at all? Jim Caviezel was thinking in light of the fact that he's going to be with Jesus forever. He was thinking in terms of eternity, not in terms of his life in this world. Friends, if you live in light of that future promise that Jesus is coming back again, it changes everything. It changes how you use your time. It changes how you use your money. It changes how you use all of your resources, your energy. It changes everything. Because you're not living in light of this world being all there is. You're living in light of eternity, living with God forever. Friends, I want to ask you, are you living in light of God's future promise that Jesus is coming back again? Here's a second thing I want you to see, and that is to, to commit to God's purposes for your life. We read in, in verse 5 of Ezra 1, Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord, the temple, in Jerusalem. Now, if you have your own, own Bible, underline this. Everyone whose heart God had moved. See, God is in the process, not just of moving the heart of Cyrus, but what's happened is the people who had lived in exile had settled in Babylon as God had instructed them to. And now, people are going to come back to Jerusalem in waves. The first group is going to go back and begin building the temple of the Lord. What does God do? He stirs in the hearts of those people. Here is what I'm calling you to do. Here is what your purpose is. Go back and build the temple of the Lord. You see, people would follow him. People would follow him would follow that first wave. 
But that first wave was to build the temple. God has stirred in your heart to love him through faith in Jesus Christ. No one can believe. No one can say Jesus is Lord unless God has already stirred in their heart. He has called every one of us to love him and to love one another. But beyond that, God gives us, he stirs in our hearts, and he calls us to something specific. What is it that God is stirring in your heart or has stirred in your heart? A vision, a passion, a desire to build the kingdom of God. There was a friend that I had in Michigan, and God had stirred in his heart. And this is what God had, had stirred, that he and his wife were to adopt a, a little girl from China. And at that point in time, you will remember, some of you will remember, that girls, uh, that the Chinese people were only allowed to have one child, and often little girls were aborted because they didn't want the little girls. They wanted a son. And these little Chinese girls often did not have families if they were born. They were pushed aside. And so, with the stirring of the Lord, this, this man adopted not one, this couple adopted not one, but they adopted two Chinese girls to love them. And God had stirred within that congregation a heart's desire to be a church that adopted children from around the world and from our own community to build into the next generation. Now, where did that desire come from? Well, we think it comes from us. No, it's God stirring, moving in our hearts and preparing us for something that he's calling us to do. Now, when I say that, some of you already know what that is. And maybe you've never said yes to it. Some of you already know what that is and you have said yes to it. Some of you don't know what that is. Ask the Lord to stir in your heart and to give you a vision for what he wants you to do, a passion for where it is that he wants you to make an impact for the sake of the kingdom of God in your lifetime. God wants to change the world through you. You. God wants to change, impact eternity for the sake of the kingdom of God through you and through me. You've often heard me say, if God could speak through Balaam's donkey, he could speak through me. I believe that. Nothing special about us up front. God just stirred in our hearts and called us to be what we are. The same way that he's stirring in your heart calling you to make a difference, to make an impact. Here's the next thing that I want you to see. Uh, I'm Well, let me just say this real quick. Write down Ezra 3.10. It's an incredible passage. When the builders had laid the foundation for the temple, just the foundation, not the temple, just the foundation, what did they do? They stopped and they celebrated. They stopped and they praised God they stopped and they, and they celebrated what God had done. It was a foundation. It wasn't the building of the temple. It was just a foundation. 
Friends, we need to be those who pause and to celebrate the great things that God is doing in our lives. God gives you a passion for something. Stop and give him thanks for that. But you say, but I haven't done it yet. That's okay. God gave you a passion. Praise him and thank him for that passion. And ask him for the strength and the wisdom to carry out your part, your piece of that passion that he has given to you. One of the things that I loved when I came here at Crosspoint in our elder meetings, and I'd never done this at any church I've been in, but part of our agenda every month is to pause and to give God thanks for the great things he is doing at Crosspoint. And we did this even during COVID. God is building a community here. He's not done. He's not done. He's building a church here. He's not done. And so we want on a regular basis stop and give him praise and glory and honor for the great things that we are seeing. But pastor, it's just the foundation. But pastor, we just have some of the walls up. No. We stop and we give praise because God has brought us this far. And we know if he's brought us this far, what is he going to do? He's going to take us the rest of the way. And we, can, we know that and we believe it and we're confident in it. Third thing I want you to say, see, take an honest and prayerful look at your life. The book of Haggai, he was a prophet during this time. And Haggai was, um, this was during the building of the temple. Now, a, a wave or two has come to Judea, has come to Jerusalem. And, and so they're beginning to build. It's been 16 years, and the temple still has not been built, and the temple is still in ruins. Okay, this is the picture of what's happening. I want to tell you, this is a book I read every new year. Every new year, and I'll show you why. It says here in verses 5 to 7, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Hear this. Here, receive this. Give care, careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you're never filled. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Here's what was happening. You'll see it in a moment. The people were pouring into things that ultimately didn't matter. The people were busy building their lives in Jerusalem while the temple of the Lord was just stones that had broken and fallen, had been destroyed in the Babylonian uh, when Babylon conquered Jerusalem. They completely razed the temple, it was just stones that were left. 16 years has gone by. God had stirred this vision in their hearts. He had stirred in the heart of King Cyrus. And now, and now the temple, 16 years later, is still in ruins while they're busy building their lives in this world. So what does God do? He frustrates them. He frustrates their efforts. They're living for themselves, but there's no satisfaction in that. 
They're doing all the things they used to do that brought joy and happiness, and now God is frustrating that, and they're not experiencing that joy that they once did, and they're unhappy. They're not content because God has not allowed them to experience that contentment. He says, now, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to how you're living your life. Give careful thought to the things that you're investing time and energy and money in. Give careful thought to the priorities of your life. I think this is a great challenge for each and every one of us. If someone were to look at your life, what would they say you prioritize? If someone were to look at your life and God looks at your life, what would you say, what would they say is most important to you? What would they say really matters to you? Your life reflects what you really value. Your life reflects what really matters to you. And sometimes, sometimes, God will frustrate that. Why? Because he loves you. You weren't created for this th- all these things. You were created to love God. And to love one another. And until you're loving God as he has created you to do, and and until you love others as as your neighbor, you are not going to be content. You'll be satisfied for a moment, but that will run right through. That's what Jeremiah talked about. When he talked about the the, um, cistern, the broken cistern that we saw a few weeks ago. We fill it up and it just flows out. Friends, I want to challenge you, each and every one of us, to give careful thought to our ways, to think about how we're living our lives. And then we read on, and we see in verse 9, God explains why. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, God says. Then he answers his own question. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. And he goes on to say, you're busy paneling your house. You've got cover. You're fine. But now you're worried about paneling it and keeping up with the Joneses while the house of the Lord remains in ruins. Friends, the temple of God is no longer a building. God says that the temple of God, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, is your life and my life. It's our lives. And I want to ask you, what are you doing to build the temple of the Lord? Now, I'm not talking about weightlifting. I'm talking about building a spiritual walk with the Lord, a deep walk with God. A profound walk with God where you're loving him and serving him with joy. Where you're walking with him each and every day in your life. Are you building the temple of the Lord? Here's the last thing that I want you to see. Rededicating to finish what you have started. We read in verses 2 and 3 of Haggai 1. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came throughout through the prophet Haggai. 
Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? The people had misplaced their priorities. It had only taken 16 years, or a few years actually, and they had forgotten about God. He didn't matter to them because they were busy building their kingdom on earth. And what happened was, God got their attention. The people looked deeply at their lives and they realized that they hadn't lived in the new land in the way that God had called them to live. They had not had right priorities. They are not living the way God had called them to live. And so I want to close with this. Listen to this. If you have your own Bible, or have a Bible, I'm in Haggai chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Please hear this. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai. They obeyed and responded to what Haggai, what God had said to them through the prophet Haggai. Because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Meaning they honored the Lord. They worshiped the Lord. Then we read this. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. So now the people have said, you're right. What we have done is wrong. We've not lived the way we should have lived. And now listen to what happens. God says to the people, hear this. If you're like me, you have in your head some misplaced priorities. Hear this. God said to the people, I am with you. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord God, uh, Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. God said, it says to you this morning, I am with you. I am with you. God says to you this morning, if you want, I will stir up your spirit. And you, you will begin to make changes in your life that reflect the way God created you to live. To live in a way that honors him and blesses you and the people around you. That's amazing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the incredible things that you are doing in our midst. Lord, we pause and we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are coming back again. Lord, speak to each and every one of us about our priorities and, and the things that we value. And Father, speak to the hearts of your people. Stir within us, Lord, each and every one of us, passion for how you want us to live, passion for the life that you are calling us to live, passion, Lord, to live by biblical, Christ-centered priorities. Oh, Lord. Thank you that you never leave us. Thank you that you are present among us as in individuals and as a community. Lord, as we take the time to consider how we are faring, Lord, help us to see what we need to see. 
thank you that you allow tough things to come to our lives. Because sometimes we're running so far, we don't even know that we have strayed. But we have gone such a distance. And Lord, out of your love and your goodness, you call us back to yourself. And sometimes that's a hard process. But Lord, may we see the beauty of that process. May we see, Lord, the great things that you do in it. In Jesus' name, amen.